Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. And before we start the show today, I do want to remind you that there is a page on the World Wide Web called wealthformula.com where you can go to get all of the additional resources offered there and also to sign up for some of our potentially interesting products such as the Wealth Formula Network. A Wealth Formula Network actually is a course, started out as a course. A lot of interesting people on there like Tom Wheelwright, Kenny McElroy, et cetera. But that actually ends up feeding into our community, which is Wealth Formula Network. Uh, we have uh, bi-weekly Zoom video conferences where we see each other and, and talk about all sorts of stuff. We also have a Facebook page, and that's where we also can help each other with various things that we're trying to figure out in our own personal financial lives. Anyway, check that out and potentially sign up for any other lists or resources that are available there over at wealthformula.com. Now, uh, let's talk about today's show. This is about risk, right? What makes for highly successful entrepreneurs or investors for that matter? It's really an appetite for calculated risk. If you're a football fan like me, you know, Bruce Arians, coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I love this guy and I remember him saying, no risk it, no biscuit. And man, is he right, right? In entrepreneurship, that might be more obvious. You probably know that entrepreneurs you know, you hear the stories all the time. You probably know people yourself who left their day jobs and people thought they were reckless, but they were pursuing businesses and dreams that they knew were going to be successful. Now, whether or not uh, they were successful is another case. But I can say, but knowing something like that is is part of the DNA of an entrepreneur, right? And I'm one of those guys uh, in my case, I got fired from my first job, so that helped accelerate the development of my first business. But the next one for me, in a sense, was even riskier. I mean, the first one, you know, I didn't have any, I didn't really have much money anyway. Um, so what was the risk to me? I, I didn't really have anything. But by the time I started the next business, I had quite a bit to lose at that point. So, you know, I wasn't take, I wasn't doing anything with investors or anything like that. It was all my own capital, it was very little bank leverage and that kind of thing. But I remember playing out the business model in my head and feeling like this is going to work, right? This is going to work. In my mind, there was no risk, only upside. And I know that sounds reckless, but that's the way young entrepreneurs, frankly, must think in order to create successful businesses. Uh, in my case, I was right, fortunately, 
and that next business did extremely well and, and took me to another level. Now, of course, entrepreneurship is different from investing, but then again, there are some similarities. Again, it's not hard to hit singles and doubles in investing, but in order to hit home runs, you have to be willing to take some calculated risk. In some cases, those are bigger risks. Often there is asymmetric risk where the upside is huge, but there's a possibility of losing it all as well. Some of you have already experienced that for better or worse in the world of cryptocurrency. The bottom line is no risk it, no biscuit. Ordinary investing will yield ordinary results. And if you strive for more, you have to train yourself and your coronary arteries, those arteries that are uh, on your heart that you can get a heart attack if you clog them up. You got to train those arteries to be okay with risk. And no one knows that more than my guest on this week's Wealth Formula podcast. This is a guy who's served as president and CEO of multiple major brands. He's an entrepreneur. He is recognized for his unconventional approach for high performance through strategic thinking. And we're going to hear from him and how to jump first and think fast after these messages. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits, and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is Frank O'Connell. Frank is known for his unconventional approach for high performance through his strategic thinking. His accomplishments are significant, including serving as president of Reebok Brands, president of HBO Video, CEO of Indian Motorcycles, and chairman and CEO of Gibson Greetings Incorporated. And he's the author of Jump First, Think Fast, an Unconventional Approach to High Performance. Frank, welcome to the podcast. Wow, thank you. I appreciate being here. Yeah, well, it's, it's great to have you. Uh, and, you know, what we're really trying to discover uh, a little bit about is how you look at risk in general. And maybe what you can do is, if you wouldn't mind giving us a little bit of background, I talked a little bit about what you've already done, but what what are the components in your past that sort of have molded this view uh, of risk that you'll present to us? Okay. Well, it started early. Um, I grew up in a farm in upstate New York. My father died when I was two and a half and my mother stayed and ran the farm. And so as soon as my brother, who was a year older and I were about able to walk, 
we started uh, running parts of the farm. So um, during high school, I mean, we had quite an operation of uh, machinery and growing crops and 3,000 chickens and whatever. So I learned really early on about taking risks. And, um, you know, at that time, of course, my biggest risk always was nature. And I learned to (laughs) live with nature. Sure. So, yeah. So it, so my, that early um, entrepreneurial impact taught me a lot about risk taking, self confidence, failure, uh, but that got me on the path. So, yeah, absolutely. And then, so you grew up on a farm, then you end up being like, you know, president of these major companies and CEO. Uh, to tell us a little bit about that journey and, you know, maybe some of the lessons you learned along the way. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, as you can see, I worked uh, really for um, a number of, you know, a number of companies and I was very fortunate early on, you know, I, I went to Cornell undergraduate and graduate school and then started with a great company out in the West Coast called Carnation. It has super training programs, started to learn about new product development, how to take risks in developing products and mitigating risk, et cetera. And then on to, um, you know, running businesses that, you know, Hunt Western Foods and then, you know, made some big jump shifts. I spent about eight years in the baking business, developed a product called Branola, which is, you know, the first high fiber product that developed a $500 million business. And then make a big jump shift, went to work for Mattel in the early days of the whole video game, uh, video game business. And then took a big risk, cashed in my bonus check. I developed a business plan and I went out to raise money to start my own video company. And I raised four and a half million dollars from Marvin Davis, a 20th century film corporation. Ah. <laughs> so like in, in a weekend, you know, uh, but, you know, a critical element there. But what I learned is particularly the importance of having a strategic plan. You know, you can be a great entrepreneur with a great idea. But you really got to put together a strategic plan that shows what is your path forward, you know, what's your competition, what really is the product, what capital do you need, you know, what human resources, you know, et cetera. So that is, and, and, and incidentally, I learned from that point on that one of the major failures of entrepreneurs is the lack of a plan, a really a strategic, you know, a really strategic plan. So, um, but, you know, that, that was a you know, that was a big risk. We moved to the Silicon Valley, you know, et cetera. And then, you know, I went on to uh, HBO video. Um, and one of the biggest risks that I think I've taken is there was um, a company in the trading card business called Skybox. It had lost $80 million. Uh-huh. And so, you, you know, there are you know, seldom do they call you when everything is going well, sure. you know. Sure, sure. <laughs> so, um, and they took a huge, huge risk. Can, could I turn that company um, around? First thing I did was unbelievably risky, which is we destroyed millions of units of trading cards because they had overproduced those trading cards run on scarcity. We had a license from the NBA, the NFL and and whatever. And everybody thought, what are you, what are you doing? And we publicized it. We had a accounting firms come, we brought in all the retailers, we shredded the product and served it to them on silver platters. 
But boom, that made every product now of ours in the market far more valuable. Then we took a huge risk. Um, I had an NBA license. Um, I was actually in David Stern's office, the commissioner of the NBA, when he told me, Frank, go to your television. Magic is going to announce he's HIV positive, Magic Johnson. Mm -hmm. So I was the first one to contact him after that and to sign him on to an agreement. I could have never afforded him in a normal, you know, kind of environment. Everybody else would have outbid me, but everybody else was afraid and scared. I did some quick research, found out the consumer and parents saw him as a hero. So we signed him on and it was, he did a commercial with his son. It just exploded our company through the roof. We ended up getting uh, the uh, license for the dream team, you know, et cetera. So, you know, that's kind of, yeah, go ahead. So, that's an example. So I, of think, risk. I think the, the moral of the story, um, you know, for what you're talking about is, uh, you know, even from the title of your book, jump first, meaning like, I mean, that, that, that sounds like a, not a very well-planned, um, uh, approach, but really what you're talking about is, you know, is having strategic plan that's, that may have, um, an asymmetric risk, uh, you know, associated with it. Is that, is that fair? That, that, that's fair. I mean, yeah, they're definitely the plan. It helps you mitigate the risk, but still the risks are high. In, in a lot of the coaching, I do a lot of coaching with entrepreneurs and, um, and young people in startups because I've done my own startups from ground zero, et cetera. And I've invested in a lot of them. But often it is trying to, you know, even if they've got a plan, it's to get them to really make that, to really make that move and then say, you know, there's a lot of it. You're just going to have to air correct and sort out as you go. And there are going to be things you're going to want to stop doing and other new things you're going to want to do. But, you know, the, the key is you can't grow personally. You can't grow professionally and you can't grow a company without taking risks. So now, you know, it's uh, one, one thing that I, I think is uh, probably the case. I'm sure you, you, you would agree is that a lot of these principles that you're talking about, you really could extrapolate them to your personal life, your personal finances, et cetera. I mean, if you're looking right now um, you know, we live in really uncertain economic times. And so, you know, you've got businesses that are making, uh, decisions that have to make decisions, but, but so, do, so do people who are managing their own estate and their own, yeah. um, their own wealth and trying to survive. So, uh, you know, so how do you, uh, you know, what's, uh, what's some advice you have for, for dealing with these economic conditions and uncertainty and what to do? And maybe you can address, you know, both business and personal. Yeah. Um, okay. You know, what I've done, like, this is on the personal side. Fortunately, from day one, I got a financial advisor who has been with me and my entire family mm-hmm. through my entire career. Yeah. So I have always gone out and tried to search out some personal, you know, some kind of really professional advice to help me try to sort out and manage my portfolio and particularly the risk in my portfolio. And of course they always kid me. I've always been on the higher end of the risk because that's where I've got my, you know, I've gotten my higher 
you know, my higher returns. Um, but so it is very helpful to have somebody who's got a very broad picture to help you. Um, and I work between, you know, I've obviously done the best personally over time um, in the in the stock market um, and and with uh, the help of a financial advisor. Then my own personal investments, of course, is I invest in things I know, which are consumer products and consumer product startups, where I've got an absolute feel for the product and the risk and the market and the consumer and the probability. I'll tell you the toughest thing, which everybody can understand. You've got to be in this environment. You've got to keep making projections on trends. And that's the most, uh, that's the most difficult, you know, part. We've got a massive, I've got a massive food company. And the key there is what really is going to happen to all this, the commodity pricing and the consumer behavior moving at the, at, at the same time. I try to get the best information there I possibly can. Yeah. I mean, I think. Well, you talk a little bit about, you know, um, data-driven strategies, right? And and like, yeah. if you look at like the economy right now, it's it's so volatile and unpredictable. I mean, what, how do you even interpret yeah. that data? Yeah, you know, I just say agility, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got to be willing to stop things that aren't working and move in the direction of things that are, you know, that are um, on trend. And I'm not saying there's still things that, um, require having a good time hold. I, I'm going to say one thing, and you know a lot about this. We personally, and my wife, in addition to all my investments and in companies, I've made most of my money in equity, investing myself in the companies I've run in it. Right. Turnarounds. But the other one that has been phenomenal for, through us, for us has been real estate. Right. You know, so we have made substantial investments, um, in, in real estate. And I suppose taken, you know, some pretty big risks there, but that has been throughout time, just a phenomenal return. And again, that's on the, that's on the smaller side, you know, I'm making, you know, I'm buying, we're buying houses at, you know, 3 million and selling them for five or, you know, spinning, et cetera. But Uh that has worked out extreme real estate has worked out extremely well. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, but again, I, I guess in terms of like, not just what you're investing in, but like, how does, how do these times, like, let's just say right now you're, you're, um, say you're thinking about doing one of these uh, real estate projects. How are you looking at the market right now? You have rising interest rates. Um, we might be on the precipice of, uh, a recession. I mean, I'm not saying specific, I'm not asking you specifically for advice on what to do, but more rather sort of the analytical, um, uh, you know, platform that you're using uh, when you, when you start looking at these things. Yeah. Um, let me say this is, I can't, it is, it's hard. I'm, I'm big on data informed. I know they right. told me, so don't use data driven because that implies you're just for it. Yeah, you're yeah. using a formula, you know, yeah, right. use it. So, you know, we, you know, I try to get the best data and forecasting that I, that I can get, you know, now in the particular, in the real estate market now in the personal market, you know, which is now starting, of course, is, is weakening. The, 
we stay in the high end segment of that of that market, Mm -hmm. you know, and that has been absolutely the best and going forward. I still think, you know, where the interest rates aren't such a big factor as an example, but that's part of all of the, the data analysis. Now, when I'm doing consumer product stuff and I don't want to bore you with it, there's much more sophisticated research that we use there, segmentation studies on forecasts. And what we're doing is talking to consumers today about what, going on in the future, millennials and Z's and they're changing their behavior. Mm-hmm. That's where we try to get, you know, a lead on being informed. Sure. So. Sure, sure, sure. Um, you know, you obviously have this background in um, a number of businesses. You got a pretty good idea of, um, you know, how to look at calculated risk. Um, tell me what you think, you know, if you're, if you're, to a certain degree, you have to try to predict the future, right? Like, I mean, you can't really make decisions if you're not, you know, projecting yeah. something. So look at the economy right now and what are your projections? If you're, you know, and, and right now I don't know if you're running a company uh, necessarily on a day-to-day basis, but like what are you seeing and what, and what do you think the economy is, is, uh, is going to do? Well, you know, I think... You know, there's kind of, I think on one hand, you know, first I have to say um, I suffer from being extremely optimistic and positive. Yeah, well, that's, <laughs> so, that's a good thing. Yeah. It's, a, it's a sickness, so you can't get through all of this stuff. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, but I definitely um, see, and let me, let me speak, I, we've got, I'm, you know, I've been the chairman and on the board for 16 years of a huge $5 billion food company. We're in every imaginable category and we've got access to a, every consultant, imaginable piece of research, you yeah. know, et cetera. Yeah. And we're still figuring out. Yes. I do think we are definitely going to go, you, you know, we are going in with the high interest rates and whether we are going into a recession, there's no question. And if you're on the food side of the business, yes, because of the green, issues, you know, we're, we're definitely going to see for some time, we're going to see increasing, um, you know, increasing costs of, you know, in the, in the whole, you know, supply chain issue. But I, I will say from someone who's deeply involved in a bunch of businesses that also, we, I've got a toy business that's going through the roof Yeah, <laughs> and we can talk sure. about that. That's very interesting. We'll talk mm-hmm. about that one. You know, I, my view is, actually business the business is very very healthy and you know i think a lot of it is of course the consumer a bit worrying drives the recession they start to cut it back because they're worrying about what's going to happen in the future so they kind of start creating the reception, which, which I don't see. I mean, I, our businesses are very profitable and our businesses, you know, generally are growing. Yes, we do have some blips in the curve, but nothing strategically that I see in a wide range of businesses that I'm involved in that says, boy, on the long term, this thing that we're, we're going to continue to, you know, that we're going to continue to decline. So I'm, I'm, I'm yes, we're going to go through a tough year. There's no question about it for a lot of reasons, politically and whatever. But I do not see any kind of prolonged here recession. So were you um, were, were you active in uh, various businesses uh, during the 80s, during the hyperinflation uh, era? 
Yeah, I, yeah, certainly I was in business during that time, yes. So I'm curious, but, to, if you would, you know, just give me, give us a little bit of a comparison of those times versus what we're seeing right now well, from a business perspective. Um, that, you know, I'm probably not the best person to be able to do this. When I, I'll just say when in the 80s, that was the time when actually I was running Reebok and we and we developed the pump and you know i brought out a shoe i was selling for 180 dollars and did a billion dollars worth yeah. of yeah. sales in the first 12 months so i said uh okay now what's going on in the, where, where like, do these people come up with this money right with the economy it looks great. I got, people are not eating to buy <laughs> you know eating to buy sneakers so you know <laughs> um you know, but you know, I I do think I think we're going to come out of this pretty pretty quickly and pretty you know and pretty healthy. So you know, I I don't see this being prolonged. But so, and I can't do a great comparison to that time sure. period. Sure. Know. Let's so. talk a little bit more about your book. Jump first, think fast, uh, an unconventional yeah. approach to high performance. Give us some of the main. I mean, obviously, we've talked about some of those themes, but what are some of the themes that we have not covered? Okay. Um, and, and let me just kind of mention that, you know, we, why did I even write this book? You know, I've been fortunate. I've had a great fun career, you know, yeah. I've moved 20 times back across the country. I've run, you know, 10 companies from a, a CEO standpoint, etc. And when I decided to write the book is I, my, um, throughout my career, I have really, my give back has always been mentoring and it is very much today. My door was always open to my office. My first concern was about you and your, your personal, you know, your personal development. So, um, so I, so, you know, I really got started on using the example, my examples of being in the trenches to, as a as a teaching tool, instead of writing a book that said, "Here are the six things you need to do," which are most business books, I I wrote it from all of the entertaining stories of my career, and then you read those stories, and basically you you know you you know you pull from them um, what's relevant to you. So you know here, some of the central themes in here is. Um, you know, we talked, we talked a lot about planning, but I'm going to start back one more. And that is know yourself. When any time anybody comes to me and particularly a young person comes to me, I say to them and a young entrepreneur is I start with who are you? What's unique and different about you? And a lot of people that initially come to me are kind of following the flock. They're following their peers and the values of their peers. And of course, what I'm very much into is looking at a unique path for you to follow where you're just not following everybody else's values. And you have various techniques of where I make them said, okay, you got to come back to me. And in five lines, Tell me, you know, what's different about you. And then, well, then what I do is try to work with them from that point forward. If they want to do, you know, if they're, you know, entrepreneurial, 
and I get a lot of people coming out of corporate life that are going into entrepreneurial, then start saying, you know, what are your passions and what, from your analysis, what are your skills? And then what are the business opportunities or entrepreneurial opportunities that you're, you know, that you should be, you know, you should be considering. So I, I try to start very much from understanding um, the individual. And then, of course, it's into a much more disciplined, you know, um, approach of evaluating options and opportunities and how to go about that and the capital required. And and then, you know, one of my key things, and I'm sure you know this so well, is talent. Even if you've got a startup, you know, ground zero, and there's only going to be two of you or three of you, it is choosing the right talent is so critical and people that can, you know, that can work together. It tears apart more entrepreneurships, even sure. if they start to become very successful. So I say, you know, um, just really spend time on defining the talent. And then from then us, you know, the normal stuff, accountability, agility, creating the right culture. I'm very big on the right culture, particularly in startup companies, et cetera. So, are you involved a lot in startups right now? Um, uh, funding startups and where I get into a lot of them is working with private equity companies where we're investing in startups. And then I go in and I frequently go in as kind of the chairman of the board as, as basically the coach. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. Um, so what's, uh, I mean, you're busy, uh, obviously writing books, being a chairman, uh, what else on the horizon for you? Well, you know, we have a, uh, I have a toy company we've had for six years. Yeah, what is it called? It, it, yeah, it's called Schilling, S-C-H-Y-L-L-I-N-G. And, um, you know, I had worked for Mattel, so I had a background in toys, et cetera. We bought this company six years ago. Interesting. I'm normally in the leading edge of everything, new technology, et cetera. And in this case, no batteries, no electronics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, um, it's all the standard, you know, play patterns and, you know, some of the very classic toys, millions yeah. of, you know, uh, tin retro. Jack in the, yeah. yeah, retro tin Jack in the boxes, et cetera. Now, when the pandemic hit, I, those products went through the roof and because all those kids are home, I mean, our volume is unbelievable and our, that's key to us is understand, you know, what business are you in? That's right. one of the th key things I ask entrepreneurs and they always tell me the wrong business <laughs> when I take a look, when I take a, a look at it. No, in trading cards, we were not in the trading card business. We were in the business of connecting kids and their heroes. Yeah. So, you know, I, I right. that's extremely important uh -huh. in the toy business. We're really in the educational business. So well-educated millennial moms, as an example, are critical understanding them. And of course what they want is to keep their kids away from electronics as long as they possibly, long as they possibly can. So, so now the, the thing that's happened there is in also, I'm very big on innovation. We were very fortunate. We created about a year and a half ago, a product called Nido, N-E-E-D-O-8. It's a compression ball. We, we've blown it into a brand. We're selling millions 
billions in units. It's in any toy store you go into, any mass market you go into now, you'll find, you know, Nido. Now, you always hope that that's something that will happen to you, you know, in the toy business. And then acquisition. So we bought, we reinvent. So we bought a year ago, the lava lamp company, the old lava lamp company. We're reinventing the lava lamp. And two weeks ago, we bought um, the big wheel, you know, the big, the ride on big wheel, the old big plastic (laughs) thing you wrote. So we bought that and, and we will reinvent that. So, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I'm I'm deeply involved with, uh, and, and a lot with now dealing with China, I can tell you a lot. I'm going to, I'll give, I'm going to give you one other scenario on that, but dealing um, with China, all of the shipment problems, the plant problems, everything there. I, mean, you know, I spent hours on the phone dealing with that. And that's one of the other things about, I say about entrepreneurs or young people, travel. Do everything you can to understand the world. And in particular, go to India and go to China where I've spent a lot of time, you can't understand the world. And of course, if you're ever involved, I produce, a, I'm in a hundred plants in China. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. you've got to understand what's going on from a very personal standpoint. But anyways, yes. Sounds great. Um, you know, this is really interesting stuff. The book again is Jump First, Think Fast, an Unconventional Approach to high performance. I assume we can get that everywhere, right? Amazon and uh, the usual. Yeah, it's now, it, it releases on October 24th, but you can go up on the website, which is just jump for And then there's a lot of stuff on link, a lot of stuff on LinkedIn. So Frank O'Connell, everyone, uh, Frank, thanks so much for being a wealth formula podcast. Love, ha- love to have you back again sometime. I'd enjoy it. Thank you. I, I enjoyed watching all of your other podcasts. Oh, great. So, well, I appreciate that too. Yeah. You actually, you actually had, you know, I went to Cornell, the college of agriculture. You actually had a guy that Mark Belmere. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who was, yeah. And I just listened to his whole podcast. He was right. I was so, he was saying things so f- familiar to oh, me, that's you know, that's All great. those farm boy stuff, you know. Well, okay. good. I'm glad you. you I'm glad we got you to enjoy some of those episodes as well. Yeah. Thanks again. We'll be right back. Thank you. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Hope you enjoyed it. As a reminder, in addition to Wealth Formula Network, there is an accredited investor group, and if you have not signed up for it, Investor Club, you may want to do that at wealthformula.com. People have been asking about if there's going to be offerings in there. We do. We will have some offerings there um, before the end of the year. So if you are an accredited investor, get onboarded sooner rather than later. That's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.